630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Well, here we go. Here we go. Second hour of the show. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. It is Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chad. A best of edition tonight and had some fun a few days ago. Yes, we brought him back into studio from Oilers Nation, the one and only Bag Milk. Good to see you, buddy. Happy to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for dropping by. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I know you've uh, you've been on a few times, and we should remind people, Bag Milk, not your real name. It could be. Actually, that's a good point. It could be. I should go I all in. I given it away that it's not. I should go all in, just make my way down to the courthouse tomorrow, sort that out, fill out the paperwork, pay a little fee. Done deal. So what do you call that? A pseudonym? A handle? Uh... That's my rap name. That's <laughs> what I'm dropping bars. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means. I, I don't know. I'm not sure what that means. Well, it's 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 good to see you. Uh, you've you've be, definitely become a friend over the years, so I, I appreciate that. And, and uh, we often talk about the uh, the team we follow, uh, the Edmonton Oilers. But I want to talk to you about something else very important tonight. Of course. As a lover of the canine species, it didn't really come out the way I meant it. <laughs> I'm just going to take it however you want it, man. I'm rolling. But as someone who loves the dog as an animal and uh, has been a dog owner all my life, what can you tell me about Frank? Frank is a massive celebrity, (laughs) arguably the most successful hockey-picking dog in history. That's a good point. You can make that argument. He was very successful. I don't have a. I don't have an actual record for this year. I know he finished How do you somewhere. Not keep a record. It's a fifty. It's like. Anyway, sorry. I, I lost you know, it around you Christmas. Up already. I lost it around Christmas. I stopped counting. I know he's somewhere ten to twelve games above five hundred. Very successful. If you bet on Frank every single night, you would have made a lot of money. At least in my opinion. Don't follow that. Word for word. And, and for people who don't see the videos or don't follow you on on Twitter or just who don't you know have an internet connection, can you tell us what Frank does to make his predictions? Yes, of course. So, well, first of all, what kind of dog is he? So Frank is a Boston there. Terrier. Okay, picture that in your mind. He's very handsome. <laughs> He's very knowledgeable. As sure, I set up a couple of sheets of paper. One says the Oilers on one side, the opponent on the other. Sure, I give a little preamble. I asked Frank if he's done some studying. Always has. Always prepared. I say, Frank, go ahead, buddy. Who's going to win? And he just goes over and tells me. Tonight, the Oilers are going to win. Tonight, the Avalanche are going to win. So on and so forth. He's very successful. So whatever treat he eats first, because obviously he's a dog, he's going to eat both treats. Of course. And why You're not going to be like, whoa, you can't pick Mm-mm. the one from the Lucy team. You can't eat that one. And do you alternate or randomize where Gotta the, switch. where the logos go? People will call me out if I do not well, switch. That was they one of the feel, first things I asked you. They, it's true. They feel as though Frank always leans one side, and so I switch. He doesn't. He goes back and forth. He's a dog. He's got his own thoughts. He's his own person. I've raised <laughs> him to be a free thinker, and Frank can do what he likes. All right, so that is Frank, the game-picking dog. Go check out hashtag Frank's Picks on Instagram. Oh, he actually has a a hashtag? Oh, yeah, man. Frank's Picks. Oh, I didn't even know that. Very successful. I just would see it on your Twitter account. Award-winning Boston Terrier. And how old is Frank? A year and a half. So this was his first full Oilers season. We started at the end of last season. I didn't know if it was going to work. He is, like I said, a free thinker. But He's a free spirit. You can't cage this bird, Reed. To him, it's a one-year playoff drought. Or is it seven in dog years? It could be seven. He's had a real hard time. <laughs> like seven. These off-seasons have lasted forever. <laughs> years, in fact. Now, you personally have done something two years in a row, and this I actually question. 
this time I, I, I don't, as your friend, I, <clears throat> how, how does it go? Like, I, I don't, I guess I support it, but I, I also <laughs> don't. Yeah, the beats thing you're talking the about. The beats of course. thing. Yeah, so. It's, it's almost like if you said you were going to start smoking. Which at, I might. You know, That's the, next year. At the age bet. of 24. Of course, thank you. you, you like, I'd be like, well, I guess if you really want to smoke, it's a free world, but I don't know why you're starting now. I love the Oilers. I love them more than anything. And to show my support and solidarity, I said that no matter what, whenever they lose, I will eat a 14-ounce can of beets. The first year I did this, which was last season, I was just like, okay, this is what it was. They missed the playoffs last season, went through the offseason, and people are like, are wasn't it tied to, do it to again? 500? Yes, it so was they originally... They were below all year. Exactly. Anyway, yeah. they were, it was originally tied to 500. They never got close to being 500, so I just ate the beets. In the offseason, people said, are you going to do it again? And I said, yes, of course. How can I not? There is no way that the Oilers are going to lose as much in 2018-19 as they did the year before. I'll do it for every loss. Why wouldn't I? Smart idea. A lot of vitamin C. A little bit of iron. But there's ways to prepare beets to make them more palatable. And you refuse to do that. Well, I just don't believe that to be true. They are dirt vegetable. No. uh, They're awful. Try them with some horseradish and and feta cheese. Actually prepare. Make an adventure out of it. A little cooking adventure. Oh, the Oilers lost. Now I get to cook. So if you get either they win and you're happy as a fan. Because I make a cocktail. Or they lose. Yeah, because you, you have a beer after every win. Yeah, or a cocktail. Okay. Whatever's going on. Good. So you get to imbibe. Hopefully not overdo it. But the Oilers win. You're happy you imbibe. The Oilers lose. Oh, disappointing. But I get to try a new recipe and expand my horizons. The Oilers, See, were, the Oilers were beaten, and thus I must be too. <laughs> beaten, yes. This year was about well, 40 pounds of beets. You ate 40 po- estimated uh, 40 pounds of beets. Roughly 40 pounds Over 47 losses or whatever it turned out to be. Delicious. Something like that. All right, so I got to ask you a question because you said when you, the first year you did it, you, you said it was for every time they lost and their record was below 500. Yes. And I'm glad you brought this up because I have a listener named Jeff who is furious whenever I use 500 as a points percentage, which, by the way, is how the NHL calculates the standings. They don't go by winning percentage. If they went by winning percentage, Arizona would be in and not Colorado. Yeah. Because Arizona... So, and I agree, 500 is not what it used to be, but it's an easy demarcation point. So when you were doing your thing for the Oilers being 500, because they did get the 500 at Christmas. Not real 500. Right. So you you used winning percentage. You you use actual winning half your games, not having half your points. To me, OTLs... is going to love you. You just got another fan. To me, OTLs are a loss is a loss. You can get the pity point all you want. The beats still have to go down. Well, Colorado did, and that's why they're in the playoffs. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> what, Colorado Colorado have 14? Something like that. Yeah. You call them pity points, eh? Yeah. What else are you going to call them? What do you think? Are they going to go three points for a win eventually if this is the system? For no, points? they won't. I, I think they should. They should do a 3-2-1-0 point system. I would agree. But they will not add the fourth column. Hmm. Because it's awkward to say... And you think Americans think hockey is weird now. There already is kind of four columns because the tie one is still there. Well, the WHL, well, not on the main standings page. No, that's true. But uh, the WHL the WHL separates OT losses and shootout losses, which doesn't make sense to me because it's still a point. Right. And when you say the record, you're just going to add those two together. Very confusing. I don't. I don't think the NHL will do that because I don't think they'll add the column. And I and I and I, I'm of the belief. 
like when I was younger, I used to be, well, you know, you have to, some guys played 70 game seasons and some guys, to me, just the record is the record. Gretzky got 215 points. That's the record. And and you kind of know if you know enough about hockey that the games were different and you honor the the guys from the different eras and realize they played under different conditions. Sure. I mean, the goalies in the 80s wore Sears catalogs as their pats. <laughs> But I don't think the NHL would take it that far to say that now, like, Tampa Bay would have had 190 points this season. Congratulations on winning the regular season to Tampa Bay. Congratulations on uh, not winning a game in the playoffs, which is... So I don't think they'll do that. I actually would be a fan of them just saying a loss is a loss. It's a two-column sport, like the NBA and baseball. I mean, the NFL technically does have ties, so it's a three-column sport, as does the CFL, though they're rare in both leagues. But um, I would, I, I, before I would go to the three-two-one-zero point system, I would just go to you get a win or a loss. How do you how do you settle games when they're tied? In your scenario, oh, the shootout keeps going. Oh, the shootout just keeps going. See, yeah, what which I would rather now, do, which they do now anyway, right? That's true. What I would rather them do is take out the shootout entirely extend the three-on-three because I like the idea of adding different matchups into the mix. I like the fourth liners, the third liners getting out there. Eventually, you'd have to use Jason Strudwick in three-on-three overtime. And Strudis is going to go out there and score a beauty. Yeah. Yeah, I like the the idea. Merrick Malik? Merrick Malik through the legs. That was in the shootout, obviously, but of course. Yeah, or I would just say that. I I would just say we are not going to have ties or shootout points or overtime loss points. To expedite the tie-breaking process, we will have three-on-three, but it'll be unlimited. Or have a tie after 10 minutes, because then fans go home entertained. Nobody won, but... There's nothing worse to Like, are ties that foreign to people? That's what I don't understand. I mean, soccer's the biggest sport in the world. Like, 70% of the games end 1-1. People get it. People get it. To me, I think there's nothing worse than bringing down a game after an excellent three-on-three OT period and going to the shootout. Yes. It's so lame. And I know from sometimes Rob and I talking after games, the Oilers will lose in a shootout, 3-2. And, like, people are calling in furious, and this guy's lazy. And and I'm like, like, one penalty shot goes the other way, they win 3-2, and you think it was the gutsiest effort of all time. Yeah, it's a skills contest. Sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. I ju- like I said, just to me, how many games would end in the three-on-three OT if it ex- gets extended to 10 minutes, you got fourth liners getting mixed in, you got the third pairing being mixed in. Yeah. Or the stars just play more. Yeah, why not? That's what we paid to see. Pad watch. Text again. Why don't we just get rid of the shootout and get rid of the loser point and have ties again? What the heck is wrong with a tie? It's only a tie. To me, it makes sense. There's Look, you have a two-point two point game. If they tie, each gets one. Math works out in my head. Ed says, beets cut into bite-sized chunks, drizzle with olive oil, salt, and pepper, roast in foil for one hour, 400 degrees. Better than candy. That See, I don't good. believe you. The problem, the problem See, there is... You're closed-minded. That's your problem <laughs> right there, bag milk. The problem that I have is sometimes, say it's the Pacific road swing. It's an 8.30 start, 8.30 mountain start. That thing ends at 11 o'clock. Yes. I can't cook beets for another hour. I mean, I could. Technically, I don't really have... You have to be in the morning. Yeah, I don't really have any. You're a blogger. That's right. I go to my mom's house. I go to the basement. I write some articles. (laughs) So what... How much space do you have in your mom's basement that you reserve for working? I have a little cubicle, and it's my Astro Boy chair that I've been saving since I was a little kid. I've got my Rambo big wheel in the corner. All my things are there. My little tchotchkes are laid out. Now, who gets to claim that on taxes as a workspace within the residence? You or your mother? Oh, you have to give it to mom. Like, come on. 
She's she's footing the bill on all my beats. Like, what are we talking about? These are dozens of cans of beats that are going on her. Bag milk. This uh, bag milk is here from OilersNation.com. Back after the break. If you ever want to get in touch, 780-496-0063. You can text 63630. I will warn you tonight, though, I'm not here. It's a best of show. This is pre-recorded. Email insidesports at 630ched.com. Part two, our best of interview with Bag Milk from Oilers Nation. How many years now for uh, Oilers Nation? Uh, this was this was our 11th year. And what did it start as? Don'ttradesmitty.org? Bringryanhome.com. I was close. Pretty close. Yeah, yeah. That was how right long have after, you been there? Uh, I've been helping for eight, nine years. Well, you're not helping. You actually work there. Yeah, no, full-time I've worked there. I am. A, this is my job, people, just in case you're wondering. Five years. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's ask. We touched on this a bit last year. Why, why don't you use your real name when you're right? It's the same reason that nobody knows who Calvin Brodus is. When Snoop Dogg decides to go by oh, yeah, Calvin I Brodus, I will go by my real name. So this is on you, Snoop. It's all Snoop's fault. It's all Snoop's fault. Same with you, O'Shea Jackson. Of course, Ice Cube, Reed. Well, that's Ice Cube? Yeah. I, I, I might have remembered Calvin Brodus. Is it Brodus or Brodus? Uh, I don't know. What did you say? Brodus? Sure. Brodus? Whatever. Uh, t- uh, Terry Bellier is one I know. Who's that? Hulk Hogan. Kellen, that's right, isn't it? Balea. Terry Balea. Balea. What did Balea. I say? Bellier? You said Bellier. Hell yeah, I said Bellier. <laughs> <laughs> Terry Bellier is the guy that, uh, I don't know, not Hulk Hogan. Probably a criminal. Yeah, yeah probably. Probably. Could be. People are Googling, like, why'd you reference that guy? And uh, Vincent Fernier, of course. Go ahead. Alice Cooper. See? This is what we're talking about. So you're like those people. Exactly. Although I picked arguably the stupidest possible pseudonym I could. Because when you picked it, you didn't realize you'd be using it 10 years later. Well, it was before that. I was 19. I'm in my mid-30s now, Reed. I did not realize you've had it for that long. Never in my life did I expect this to be a career path. But you've carved out your little chunk of the internet with it. Why not? What's wrong with that? See? And I like it. It's fun. How would you describe the mandate, the goal, the mission statement of OilersNation.com? The mission statement of OilersNation.com is to provide all-encompassing Edmonton Oilers coverage. We want to have a lane for everybody. Mm-hmm. You want to, you want Brownlee to write a historical piece of when he was traveling with the team back in the 90s? You'll get it. You want Gregor to give some insider information? You'll get it. You want a fan perspective of a guy who stands and yells and eats beats after losses? That's what I'm there for. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, there are so many lanes at Oilers Nation that there's a little bit of something for everybody. If you cross over and you read all of us, great. If you don't, fine. We just want to be the home for Edmonton Oilers coverage in the city. It's for fans, by fans. We love the team. I'm never going to pretend I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm 100% biased. I love the Oilers, and everybody that works there does too. There's one player in particular you really love. Talk to me about him. Can you explain your affection for Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Since draft day, 2011, I remember the arguments. Do you remember, Reed? Should the Oilers go with Ryan Nugent Hopkins, the skilled center at a Red Deer, or perhaps a defenseman like Adam Larson, who ended up sliding to number four, if I remember correctly? Yes. I loved everything that I read about Nugent at the time. His vision, the way he played, he's a smaller guy, still managed to weave through traffic, still very effective, power play wizard, committed to a two-way game. I loved it. 
I loved it. I love Selkie, guys. I heard you on the way in talking about the Selkie nominations, and my dream in life would be for Nuge to be in those in that trio that gets nominated. And to me, he's just an amazing player to watch. He has seen so much crap with this organization yep. since being drafted in 2011. He's never complained. You will never hear a bad word about him. He's turning into a man right before our eyes. Have you ever met him? No, never. Would you like to? Sure. <laughs> I should have arranged for him to walk yeah, in right now. Could you imagine? I was asking that. I always would love. I always thought it'd be funny to have him in on our podcast or something like that, doing Oil Nation Radio with us, because the funny part would be the interaction between us. I don't know how aware he is of my fandom, the weird photoshops I've made over the last eight years, all the swooning for Nuge, the Keep Nuge Forever T-shirts we do. All that stuff. I don't know how aware he is, but I just think it'd be hilarious for him to come in not knowing who this lunatic is that he's going to meet on the other side. It just turns out I'm just a dude. I just like to yell on Twitter. That's it. Uh, this texture says, what? Wasn't the argument Nuge and Landeskog? Uh, sure, la- sure. Settle down. I mean, it could have been. Landeskog what, went Larson, to? Larson was projected pretty high. He was. He, wasn't he the mid-season number one? He might have He been. was. This, well, I love this typo. This texter says Harold Jenkins is Conway Twitter. Obviously Conway Twitty, but his phone corrected it. I should I should create a character called Conway Twitter. See? It's fun to have a pseudonym. And uh, this texter says Armageddon it. It is unquestionably the best song ever written. Well, it is a pretty good song. All right. So uh, OilersNation.com. And uh, thanks for uh, coming in tonight, Bag Milk. I, uh, I do appreciate uh, our relationship. And I do want to just say this in closing. There is this perception out there and for some people in our professions it might be true I don't really understand it but there is some perception that if you work in the media the traditional media as I do and if if you're a blogger as you are you should automatically hate each other no I have never felt that way no it's absurd no I I, I like to think that if you treat a person with respect regardless of what they do in their life that they should return the sentiment with you and I We've gotten together since day one. You came and did our podcast when nobody ever did our podcast. Really? Yeah. No one else was doing it? Nobody. <laughs> Not one person. You were like our leading guest. You came in every other week, it seemed like, and I was grateful for it. And just from there, it kind of spawned a relationship. Well, love having him on the show. Maybe someday I'll find out his real name. Bag Milk from OilersNation.com. We're back with Grant Fedork and his story of being there when Tiger roared. It's the early leader for sports story of the year, Tiger Woods winning the Masters, his 15th major championship. Grant Fedorik, with Leading Edge Physiotherapy, was part of the roars at Augusta last weekend. Yeah, there is a couple There's a couple roars I might have started, let's just say. Well, let me start right here. We'll start at the end of the tournament. Where were you? What was your mm-hmm. vantage point when Tiger putted in to win? Okay, well, we actually were there pretty early. Uh, everything got changed around the night before when the storm started to roll. They changed all the time, so we knew we kind of had to get to the gate. So we did, got in line, and uh, we were pretty fortunate to get our chairs second. We were about third deep, uh, right along right along 18. So we were right even with that bunker on the left side of the green and uh, had a pretty good vantage point to the whole thing coming home. Amazing. And so did you stay on 18 all day or, or were you able to move around a little bit? 
No, we followed most of the action. We were pretty lucky. We had a pretty sweet spot on uh, Amen Corner as well. Uh, we kind of hung out at number two for a little while, uh, right when Tiger teed off of one and stood by until Tiger came through. I was basically right right behind him as he putted on number two, standing up right on the right on the rope. So I might be able to find myself. But uh, And then we kind of tracked him for a little while and followed, kind of became part of the crowd and had some pre-planned idea of where we would go and catch him as he came through. We kind of skipped ahead a couple holes and listened for roars or, or awes, you know, to see how he did. And then we had a really awesome spot on Amen Corner. And uh, if you haven't been to Augusta National uh, and – now that I've been there, I can tell you it's everything they say. It's uh, it's a spectacular view. We had an unbelievable viewpoint right at, uh, we could see 11 and 12 and see them tee off on 13. We were right on the bottom corner, right on the ropes, front row, and uh, saw the, the drama unfold there. As soon as that kind of happened, we knew we were going to have a tough time finding where our chairs were on 18, so we booked it. You know, and you can't run there. you got to walk. So... And it's hilly. I mean, I, I got, I don't know, I'm pretty sure I did at least a few marathons there uh, just that one day, but uh, we got to 18 and watched about the last four or five groups come through. So you can actually leave your your chair by a, the 18th green and it'll be there. There's not going to be somebody there saying it was theirs or it's not going to grow legs and walk away, so to speak. Yeah, there's an etiquette there. It's a pretty awesome thing. You you put your chair down, you put a business card in it, so you're identified. Now you got to find it, so you got to give yourself a pretty good landmark because it's a sea of green chairs. And when we got there, we were only like I said, a few rows in, so we gave ourselves a landmark. By the time we got back there, there's about ten more rows of chairs behind us, and then standing. And so you got to navigate your way through all the people standing, and say, you know, this is my chair. And what you do is. If there's a chair just sitting there and nobody's in it, you just sit down in it. And if the person who owns it comes along and just says, hey, this is my chair, you just get up and let him have his chair. So there's lots of places where chairs are just sitting free and you can get off your feet. But, I mean, as a physio guy myself, I'm going to have some foot recovery for sure for the next week because my, uh, my dogs are barking, let me just tell you. <laughs> but we got, <laughs> we got to our chairs uh, just fine and got seated. And, and then we just watched the board on 18 and – Read. this is the part that I'm having fun telling the story. There's no communication there. You know, there's no phones. You're not asking. You're not following it. The only way you follow it is on the good old historical leaderboard. They don't even walk around with a thing behind the players. There's just leaderboards everywhere, and it's a camaraderie. You know, you get to know everybody there, and you ask them, what, it, what was that? You know, where, how's so-and-so doing? How did... Where did, what did DJ do on that hole? It looked like he birdied it. What happened? And guys will just say, I was standing there. This is how it went. And so you live the event through other people a little bit, but the board, as it changes scores, you're cheering at this white board. with it's, There's nothing electronic about it. They just flip up the numbers. And as guys are putting on 18, they got to pause. So you've heard a roar behind you, and you know something big has happened now. If it was Tiger, you know it. It's, there's no doubt about it. When they tell you there's a Tiger roar, I can now tell you there is 100% a Tiger roar. There is a different sound. You know, there's a cheer when guys make good shots. I mean, Kepka got an eagle, so you hear the cheer. 
And we all looked at each other like, uh-oh. <laughs> and then we heard a big roar not too long after that, and you knew, you knew Tiger did something great. So you do it. You're living it through your senses, not through electronics. Grant Fedorik from Leading Edge Physio joining us in Inside Sports about his experience at Augusta over the weekend. Are you even allowed to bring your phone onto the grounds or do you have to check it somewhere? Yeah, no phones on the grounds even at all. In fact, uh, you know, we left ours behind knowing that's the rule. But when you get to the gate, you don't want to delay. You want to get through. Uh, so there is a checkpoint, though, that they, they will take your phone. And it's, uh, it's so organized, Reed. It's uh, pretty amazing. I mean, we, the golf itself was phenomenal but the, they've just got it down to if you've been to disneyland and you just know how they move people there this is like a golfer's disneyland they they move you they're so polite everybody's friendly everybody's in a good spirit and you know the volunteers are just I mean, even the, the police officers they're working there they've been working long 12 20 hour shifts but they're just friendly they're just very the uh, it's just golfers you know everybody's just happy to be there and enjoying each other's company so uh, they move you around pretty quick. The day we got there on uh, Sunday, it, we got there really early, and that's not like me, but I just had a feeling that we should get there early because of the change of times, and it was deep. I mean, we got there. We just got inside of the second wave of people moving in, and what they do is they hold people back almost, and then they say, okay, and they let you go about 20 more feet, and then they just let you kind of go in little, in little uh, waves in just so that nobody's rushing, Nothing happens. They don't want anybody to get hurt. And there is a lot of people. So pretty neat. You mentioned walking and, uh, and how your dogs are barking. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and I, I just want you to kind of describe because, you know, the fairways are pretty wide. You know, certainly there, there are hazards, but there's usually ways to avoid them as a golfer unless you want to hit a risky shot. So it's not like a tight golf course with, with knee-high rough, but... I always read that there's never a flat lie and you're always hitting off a side hill or uphill or downhill and, and the TV doesn't do it justice. Like, can you kind of describe how hilly it is? And, and I mean, we're not great golfers, so we'd probably be hitting off lies we wouldn't even know what to do with, right, if we had to play around there. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? It's an exacting course. And, and I am a golfer. Um, I, I know this course would chew me up, but... The, it's so important. Every shot that they make, you can just see how they've planned it out. And and I'd have to almost go hole by hole. But it, the undulations are one thing. The elevations are another. You you know there it's steep. Some of the some of the holes are just absolutely big hills. Uh, and then then when they're landing areas where they're hitting to, it's you know some are valleys coming up hills. Some are going down long way around a corner, but even then when you get to it, it's got its own undulations on the fairway as well. And you can get really tight to some of these fairways. I mean, we were standing in ropes where, um, I'm, I, without, without a joking at all, we're looking down to see, I think we were watching uh, Dustin Johnson on one hole, I think, and, and uh, Zach Johnson had missed the fairway, was another hole over, and the guys are just saying, hey, heads up, boys. And they didn't move us. But Zach Johnson with a camera right behind him, he's hitting a ball over our heads. And, I mean, <laughs> we're like directly over our heads. And they didn't move us out of the way or anything. You know, they literally just said, stand still. So I'm kind of – I don't know which way to look. I almost thought maybe I should just keep watching the hole where I don't know what Zach's doing because I don't want to take one right in the face. But at the same time, 
I, I was thinking, you know what, if he hits me, I'll, it'll be a great memory. So I, I just stood still and watched him blast it right over my head. It was a beautiful shot. That, that, that would be quite a memory, Grant. Okay, uh, I also want to ask, and, and you mentioned you know, you're not allowed to run there. And, you know, let's face it, Augusta has a, an interesting history and, uh, and some of the rules uh, as well. And I know, you know, you, you do hear some people say, well, you, you know, you, you can't have a lot of fun there, which I, I don't know if that's necessarily true or not because it sounds like you had a lot of fun. But did you ever feel, like, <laughs> overly monitored or, or regulated, like it was in anything sort of in a stifling sort of way? No, not at all. I think it's just it's just an etiquette. You know, I was I, I've been saying to somebody just earlier that you know there's nobody holding up a sign that says "quiet, please" during a putt or while somebody's teeing off. It's just all of a sudden everything kind of and we're talking, you know, thousands of people just go to a hush. And there was that one point on 18 where you know the the energy is just building and crowds are moving up. And I don't know what the total number is, but you know, in the 10s, 20s, 30s, I don't even know if it's 50, 60,000 people, just this sea of people following up after Tiger had shot, had hit 16 and done what he did and was coming up 17 and teed off on 18. This wave of people came toward us on 18. And I looked back and I was, I was first of all, just blown away by the magnitude of the number of people that followed him. And when people talk about Tiger crowds, again, you might see it on TV, but you, you really don't grasp it because they're only showing him and what you can see around him. But if they did a bird's eye view, all you saw was like just pandem of people and they're all moving slowly, no running. Uh, and then just a hush falls over everybody. And it almost starts at 18 and then just made its way back. But we're talking about that many people silent, literally silent. And nobody had to tell anybody to be quiet. It just happened. And, you know, the, the, I did have a couple, not, I wouldn't say incidents, but I had one where, you know, obviously my heart, I, I was there. I was, a, I'm a big Tiger fan and I don't apologize for that. But, um, you know, we were on Amen Corner and, and Molinari, when he dunked it in that water, uh, that was kind of in my head. That was that moment when I thought, hey, this is it. And I kind of gave a loud clap, but, you know, not, not a cheer, just a clap like, yes. And I immediately looked around because, you know, the, the rules there are you never cheer against somebody or anything. But I was, you know, just in that moment and I got a bunch of smiles. You know, a lot of people kind of just got it. Nobody made me feel bad about it. But, uh, you know, the guys I was with, we were kind of all like, oh, what did Grant do? Uh, you know, but even the camera guys around and, the, uh, you know, the people that were working there, they, they totally understood. Nobody thought, and, and I got a bunch of smiles and I even got a wink from one of the, one of the security guys because I think he was just, he would have done the same thing. So no, uh, nothing, none of that at all. And they just warn you, Reed, they just talk to you and they're, they're very polite. Hey guys, nobody run, please. Uh, we don't want anybody getting hurt. Uh, it's, you know, everybody's going to get there at the same time. Feel free to walk fast, but please don't run. Very polite. Almost, almost so golferish, I guess would be the best way to put it. Well, Grant, I can tell you had a great experience. Thanks for sharing your story. Hey, thanks for providing the uh, injury update as well all season long on the Faceoff <laughs> Show before our Oilers games. We appreciate that, and I look forward to seeing you when you're back in town. You better read. i got a whole bunch of stories I can tell you, but we'll tell them off air. <laughs> that is Grant Fedor. Good stuff talking to him. What an incredible experience he got to have. The Pittsburgh Penguins out in four straight. Phil Bork will break it down when we get back to the best of inside sports.
Well, two sweeps in the first round of the NHL playoffs. Columbus shocking Tampa Bay and the Islanders brooming aside the Pittsburgh Penguins. Phil Bork is an analyst for the Penguins. I felt great about the Penguins' chances of moving on, but I knew it was going to be physical. And I was thinking six, probably seven games. Um, and a lot of low-scoring one-goal games. And we did get a lot of that. Uh, that's kind of the way the season unfurled. I I guess what's disappointed me the most is that, uh, you know, I didn't see the playoff emotions that I wanted to see from the Penguins. And just guys continue to struggle offensively, just really just have not struggled that much in the past uh, throughout their career. And uh, there were some, some moments during the regular season where you saw guys go through long stretches offensively. But, you know, the, the way they were talking after game 82 was, okay, this – this is good. Let's let's clean the slate. Uh, this is the second season, and they were fired up. They were they were really fired up. They felt they had a good push from uh, March the first on, where they went fourteen uh, four and four uh, in their last uh, twenty two games, and they felt good about their game. And I felt good about their game. And I just didn't think that the New York Islanders would able to be able to keep up what they did defensively. I thought maybe they would waver and they would have to break out of that and, and play some offensive hockey, but they dictated all four of the games. They really dictated what was going to happen. And the Penguins, they tried to react and they played catch up for almost the whole series. Well, yeah, and that's tough to do. And you mentioned the Islanders d- defensive play. They, they totally turned it around from a team a year ago that, that couldn't keep the puck out of their own net to the, to the best team at doing that for, and I know you saw them throughout the season, Phil, you know, a lot of a lot of credit is given to Barry Trotz. Certainly, the goaltending was pretty good. From from your view of the Islanders, not just what they did to Pittsburgh over the last week, but what they did all season long. What was the biggest key to their defensive turnaround? Well, uh, you sound like a hockey junkie like me. Like you watch a lot of hockey, and uh, I like when I watch hockey. I like to watch it, uh, you know, where I've already recorded it. So that I can stop it and then play it back and watch it over and over again. I'm not, that's that's the way my mind works. And this is I'm get, I'm basically going to get to the answer to your question. Uh, but when when I watched the New York Islanders and I would watch some of the games the next day, many times I could hit the pause button and I would see five Islander jerseys around the puck in all three zones, and that's hard to do. Not only do you have to be able to skate and get there, be in that positioning, but you really need to think all the time of where am I, where's the opposition, and how do I get into that frame? And really, when you look at the offensive zone, the defensive zone, it's broken into quadrants. And when you break it into those quadrants, and, and whatever quadrant the puck was in, there was pretty much five Islander jerseys around it. The Penguins had no room, and if they did get in behind uh, the Islanders now and again, Robin Leonard was there to make the save. You know, I love you brought that up because Ken Hitchcock talked about that during his uh, two-thirds of a season here with the Oilers about having five guys in, in the TV picture, right? That's exactly what you're talking about. Is exactly right. No matter where the puck is, you got five guys at least in the same, uh, in the same zone. From another Oilers angle here, and I'm going to ask you about an opponent, but he, but he helped the Islanders a lot in this series, Jordan Eberle. Uh, two years ago, the Oilers were in the playoffs, didn't play, didn't score a goal in 13 games. What did you see from him over the course of this Islanders sweep? He was by far the MVP of the series. And Matt Barzell was good, but it was Everly. He killed us. Absolutely killed us. Uh, and the way that he killed us 
was the the goals that he scored were so timely, and most of them were right after the Penguins scored within a you know seconds, if not a minute, minute and a half, and that's what it was uh, last night. The Penguins had a dream start. Jake Gensel, who hadn't scored in the series yet, scores 35 seconds in, and a minute 34 later, it's him again. It's bar. It's it's uh, scoring a goal, and he literally sucked the life out of the building. And he did it a bunch of times for the Penguins. Uh, and it wasn't like he dominated. Uh, he didn't have a ton of chances. He was just an absolute sniper and incredibly opportunistic. I mean, he's got a good center iceman in Matt Barzell. You've got to give him that. Uh, but whenever Barzell put it on his tape or every, he had a chance to shoot high, low, uh, bar down, short side, far side, it was really incredible. Uh, I don't know if he can keep that up, uh, but what he did to the Penguins in the first round, I'm going to remember for a long time. Phil Bork joining us on Inside Sports. I, I just want to throw another one at you because I usually try to get a memory or two from your playing days. You, you, you played uh, 56 postseason games, and obviously you won the Stanley Cup twice with, with the Penguins. And just your memories of playoff series and whether you're an underdog or a favorite, and obviously we saw a huge underdog with Columbus beating Tampa Bay, like, do you remember any moments in series where you might have thought, I think we might have broken these guys, or, or I think we're in their heads a little bit? You know what I mean? Do you ever remember sensing that on the ice as a bench where it's like, okay, I think this is, this is really going our way here? Two very clear, and you're talking 27 years ago. Uh, one was we went down 2 uh, nothing to the Boston Bruins in a series, and uh, we had big Kevin Stevens. Uh, and his media scrum, I had actually just got out of the shower and I was walking past, Artie was his nickname, and uh, walking past Big Artie and I heard him say, I guarantee we're going to win the series. I went over to my change locker. I don't remember who the teammate was. I go, did you just hear that? They're like, no, what are you talking about? I said, Artie just guaranteed we're going to win the series. He went, hell yeah. I went, hell yeah. And we did. We won four straight. The other time was uh, in 1992, Scotty Bowman was our head coach. Uh, we were playing the Washington Capitals. Uh, the Capitals beat us on home ice 8-2. to two. Dino Cicerelli had four goals. And it was the first time ever in my career I got booed off the ice. And I'm not talking little murmur boos. I'm talking people standing up, looking in the eye, going, you guys are a bunch of bombs. Get off the ice. And I was like, holy moly, this is unbelievable. Well, we went to a 1-1-3 we trap, a left-wing lock, and uh, we flipped the script on them like uh, you can't even believe. And we won the next three games. It was one of, besides the, the two games of putting the cup over my, uh, my head in 91 and 92, the most satisfying victory I had was coming all the way back when we were down 3-1 to win game seven in Washington. I remember jumping up and down on the bench, pounding the glass like I was an eight-year-old school kid that uh, got everything I wanted for Christmas morning. Memorable, memorable times. Oh, man, those are, those are awesome, Phil. Thanks for sharing those. And I, and I remember watching you guys in those series, too. That's pretty incredible. Hey, Phil, thanks for checking in. You're always so generous with your time throughout the season. Uh, I know you wish we'd be doing a few more times, uh, of the, a few more of these interviews throughout the spring, but it uh, didn't work out for the Penguins this year. But really appreciate your insight. Yep, appreciate you, too. I enjoyed it coming on your show, like always, and this was good hockey talk. All right, that does it tonight, folks. Back with a live show tomorrow. This has been the best of Inside Sports on 630 Chad, the studio operator, Kellen Kennedy, the producer of the show, Dave Campbell. My name is Reed Wilkins. Have a great night. 630 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.